forgot to mention in the beginning, I always do like to mention, we always want to keep in prayer for the kids program going in the back. Uh, you know, since, since the Lord's blessed us with that addition, we don't hear them screaming as much as we used to when they were really close. And so we have a little separation, but we do have folks that are faithfully teaching Wednesday night classes there. And uh, so we want to keep them in prayer as well. Such a blessing to have uh, workers that are able to uh, work with kids on Sunday morning, too, at the Evens doing that as well, to, to allow uh, attention, because no preacher cannot preach a baby. It just isn't going to happen. And uh, so... So uh, having, that, uh, having that order in the uh, auditorium to, to be able to give the word is a blessing. It was a good day Sunday. I was grateful that we had a, had a good group out and uh, sure, surely enjoyed the day. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 16, and uh, if you know your Bible at all, you know that this isn't about Saul. This is about David, 1 Samuel 16. But uh, God rejecting Saul as king because of his dis- disobedience that we talked about last week, and, uh, and the fact that his descendants would not be his successors either. Uh, so uh, th- then God is now choosing a new dynasty, so to speak. So the beginning of this fulfillment of God's rejection begins here in 1 Samuel 16. Uh, so the anointing of David is such a big part of Saul's journey that we're going to include it. We're actually going to be talking about David and Saul going forward And so let's read, if we will, here in uh, chapter 16, verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Why not just give him the name? I've provided David. We'll see in a little bit, I think, one of the reasons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and, I, and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him that I name, whom I name unto thee. Tongue-tied here. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town assembled at his coming, and, say, and said, Comest thou peacefully? And he said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice, and the Lord sanctify yourselves, Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not upon his countenance or in the height of his stature. Amen to that. No matter if you're tall, amen, or to the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance the Lord looketh upon the heart. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here as we break down this passage and even uh, probably spend a few weeks here and, and uh, look at your process of choosing. What a blessing that is. We pray that you'd help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're looking at the conditions of the land here, uh, the time of David, it, it was bleak. This was because of the reign of Saul. King Saul had not brought prosperity and peace to the land of Israel. He had increased their problems. So they got, they had asked for a king, demanded a king, they got a king, and their problems increased. Uh, the people's choice as a ruler became the people's curse. So they chose him, they were excited about it, but he ended up being bad for them. We've seen that in our day as well, amen? Like the president of a country that I'm thinking of right now. Um, I won't tell you what country, but I'm thinking of a president. Uh, that didn't help, okay, it made it worse when we got, uh, I'm 
when they got that president. Okay, I'm starting to let the cat out of the bag. Let's look at three problems in Israel when David came on the scene. Look at uh, verse 16, verse 1 of chapter 16 here. Uh, we see that Saul, uh, Samuel was mourning for Saul. It is a bad sign when the godly in the land are mourning, that conditions are bad. Samuel had some very good reasons for mourning for Saul because Saul began with such great promise. He started strong in his, uh, when he first became king. Do you remember the victory over the Ammonites when they, uh, they threatened the Jabesh Gileites and they, uh, Saul stepped in and he defended them? He, he rallied the whole nation. He gathered troops. He went after them. It showed military. Uh, courage, it showed skill, and it showed compassion that he had for them. But then things began to unravel uh, because Saul started to rebel against God. He wouldn't wait for Samuel at Gilgal the first time to sacrifice. Then again, in the last chapter, we saw he rebelled against God when it came to the Amalekites. Uh, the Bible says that Saul's rebellion grieved, chapter 15, verse 11, grieved Samuel. Now, the original word for grieved there means more than just mourning. It also involves anger and disgust. Saul uh, really disgusted Samuel. Uh, he was uh, angry, righteously angry about his failures and his rebellion. Would to God that all of us would be upset at rebellion against God, much the most our own. Amen? Now, it's a lot of times it's easy for us to look at others' rebellion and get upset about it. But our own, for sure, we ought to be upset about that rebellion against God. Rebellion against God always will lead to rejection by God, as happened with Saul. He rebelled against God, God rejected him. At Gilgal, God, through Samuel, announced the rejection. Chapter 13, verse 14, if you remember, Thy kingdom shall not continue. But God rebukes here in verse 1, Samuel for his mourning of Saul. Notice, though, not the mourning itself, but the length of the mourning. How long... Wilt thou mourn? mourn here? Really what the problem was, I think, is that Samuel's focusing too much on Saul, which brings only gloom, and he is focusing not enough on God, which brings hope. There again, let's apply that where we are. Amen. Instead of watching oh, CNN shiver at the thought, uh, even Fox News, instead of sitting and watching the news and getting depressed day by day and getting discouraged, why not put our focus and hope on the Lord? And that brings hope, amen? And we know that we have a bright future long-term and that God is in charge. And so here's what happened. Samuel was watching CNN. That's what he was doing. And he was mourning over Saul. He was looking at the events of the day and it brought depression. And Saul, and God asked him, how long are you going to mourn after Saul? Put your attention back on me. So God gave Samuel an excellent antidote for his sorrow. Notice this, fill thy horn with oil and go. He gave him some work to do, anointing David. He didn't know David yet, but anointing the next king. When we are filled with sorrow because of trials, because of troubles, it'll only get worse if we sit and brood, if we only sit and dwell on it. Uh, when we're filled with sorrow, one of the worst things you can do is sit around and do nothing. If sorrow dominates you, get busy doing something for God. Uh, get busy serving in some way. You'll find over and over in the Bible, the way that God helps his servants deal with sorrow and trouble is get some busy doing something for him. Get some busy serving. It'll help you as it did Samuel. Samuel needed to uh, stop mourning and start moving. 
there's a bumper sticker for you right there. Stop mourning, start moving. Uh, secondly, not only the mourning of the prophet, but the misery of the people. Many people in Israel at that time were, well, most of the people were in misery because of Saul's ruling of the nation. He did not inspire people during his reign. He increased their misery. And we see it even in our time. I've had the pleasure now of, whew, I'm, I shouldn't sit here and try to count in my head, but five or six presidents I've lived under. And, uh, you know, things, you, you get someone who loves people and has some kind of integrity and things are good and there's encouraging times and you get some that, that are discouraging to the nation. And uh, this is what happens during people's reigns. And we read things here in chapter 13, verse 6, the people were distressed. Chapter 13, verse 7, all the people that followed Saul trembling. Uh, verse, cha- verse 29 of chapter 14, this is uh, Jonathan talking about his father. My father hath troubled the land. And, and then, do you remember, not only is it sad when you can't get inspired by your leaders, you're only discouraged by your leaders, uh, not only that, in chapter 15, remember when, when Saul threw all the people under the bus? So they did what he told them they had to do, and when they obeyed him and did what he told them to do, he told Samuel uh, that it's their fault. They did it. Well, they're only following him. This does not inspire people. This discourages people. And when God wants to judge a nation, sometimes he gives them evil rulers. They rejected God. They rejected Samuel. They demanded a king. And I think God said, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And he gave him Saul. Evil rulers do not bring happiness to a land. They only cause misery. Uh, Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Boy, haven't we seen that even in our world today. Character is the foremost qualification for any leader of a nation. Character. It is not whether or not he can give a good speech. Hitler could do that. He wasn't a good leader. It's not whether or not he is a strong leader and a man's man and everything. I like his authority. Uh, Stalin did that. Uh, he wasn't a good leader. We ought to choose on character. And yet today, I, I hate to see in our... I, I remember I, I read recently, I was uh, studying a little bit about um, Nixon and Kennedy, r- watching that election. And, and really... A lot of it, if, if some of you remember it or remember reading about it, it was the first time they had a televised debate. And you remember uh, uh, Kennedy looked calm and cool and collected, and Nixon was sweating and looked nervous. And, and uh, it, it started, that kind of started us down the path of do they look good? Do they sound good? Are they suave? Are they smooth? Rather than looking at character. And we ought to look at character. And then, thirdly, the menace of the Philistines. Before Saul became king, Samuel led Israel in a great victory over the Philistines. And that was in chapter 7, verse 13. But the Philistines continued to attack Israel. They just kept on trying to regain what they had lost uh, That Samuel after that battle with Samuel. In Saul's time as king, the Philistine threat kept getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I kind of think of the Philistines like North Korea. 
in our day. When we have weak leadership, they start flexing their muscles. You ever notice that? We get a strong leader who basically says, sit down, rocket man, my gun's bigger than yours. He sits down and he calms down for a little bit. But uh, this is what happened in Israel here. They had weak leadership, and so the Philistines are starting to, to, uh, to flex their muscles and cause trouble. And really, all this intensified and got worse and worse and worse until David killed a giant. And then that helped. And, of course, it didn't take care of the problem until David became king. Uh, though Saul gained some victories here and there over the Philistines, they continue to be a bigger threat. So here we come to the choosing of David. Samuel was given the responsibility of God to choose a new king. Of course, God had already made his choice. He told Sam, I've chosen. I, uh, have, I have my man. Now he sends Samuel to uh, to Jesse's house, does not reveal it because he reveals to Samuel uh, gradually and he does it in an instructive way because the way that God chooses is very helpful and educational for Samuel and it's also helpful for us as well. I want to look at 10 aspects of the choosing. We might not get through all of them tonight, uh, but it'll be a help to us, I think. Number one, the precept for the choosing. The Lord said unto Samuel, Fill thine horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. If Samuel obeys God's command, then he'll learn God's choice. This is still true for us as we serve the Lord today. Obeying God's commands brings understanding as a result. If we want to understand what God's doing, we want to see his plan unfold, uh, obedience is the requirement. I said it a couple of weeks ago, uh, life... Uh, is understood backward, but only lived forward. And it, we have to be, go forward. We have to be obedient. Sometimes we don't understand the whys behind everything. Uh, looking backward, we often get a fuller understanding. Is that true for you? I know it is for me. I can look back and see times in my life I was royally confused and stressed out and worried and uh, sometimes full-on panicked about what was going on in our life. Now I can look back, ha-ha, I see God was arranging this and putting that together and preparing me for this, and, and now I can understand it. Well, that requires some obedience. We have to just be obedient when we even don't get it. The place where Samuel was to go uh, was Bethlehem. When God calls you to service, he'll also determine the place of that service. Now, Bethlehem, although it was small, has, as we know, a very significant place in history. Uh, the smallness of Bethlehem does not... Uh, does not handicap it to its greatness. I love that because all throughout the Bible, God uses small things, small people, unknown places, unknown and unable people. Moses, the guy that would lead millions of people, couldn't talk. I don't know whether he stuttered or he had a hard time public speaking, but he couldn't talk to people, and God used him to lead all those folks. God will enable uh, Bethlehem was where Rachel gave birth to Benjamin. Uh, it was where Boaz married Ruth, the great-grandmother of David. Uh, it was, of course, remember what happened in Bethlehem a few years later? A little baby was born. We uh, still celebrate that today. The Lord Jesus Christ was born there. But I, I love the way that God uses the insignificant in the Bible to do great things. Now, Samuel was to go to the house of Jesse, and God gives two promises to Samuel here about going to Bethlehem. Verse 1, he says, I have provided me a king among his sons. Look at verse 3, I will show thee what to do. Call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do. God often gives promises along with his 
commands to encourage our obedience. Does that all throughout the Bible. Remember the first commandment with promise, children obey your parents? That's a pretty hard command for kids to obey, but he gives a promise along with that thy days may be long on the earth. And so he often does that, gives promises attached to his commands. The, uh, his first promise is the lad. I provided me a king among his sons. The promise there reminds us that God is the great provider. You remember when, when Abraham took Isaac up to the top of the mountain? He was going to sacrifice him, and then God stopped him at the last minute. Remember what Isaac asked on the way up? Where's our sacrifice? I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's our sacrifice? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. And he did, didn't he? Uh, this was so impressive to Abraham that he named that place Jehovah-Jireh, which we know means God will provide. It's the same God who provided in the past that will supply your needs still today. I like what Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. He will supply for us as well. He provides so much for us. I read, so, I don't know who said this, but I thought it was a great thought. Often we only notice God's provision when it stops. We don't realize how great we have until it, we don't have it anymore. You ever a great classic example of this is when the electricity goes out. We don't think of electricity at home. We just turn on a light. Fridge is running, freezer is running. Electricity goes out, it's full-blown panic mode. We got meat in the freezer we don't want to go bad. Uh, worse than that, the ice cream might melt. You know, horrible things might happen. And uh, all this happened because the electricity goes, we do, do we get on our knees daily and thank God for electricity? Not really, but we sure do notice when it's gone. A lot of things are like that. Same can be said about our health and many other things. Second, we see the promise for the leading. I will show thee what thou shalt do. Uh, the second promise that God would lead Samuel all the way. When God first gave orders to go to Bethlehem, he did with Samuel what he'll do with us. Didn't give him all the details. Just go. Well, who's it going to be? Just go. Obey. I'll show thee the way. But he shows him the way as he is on the way. That's how we live our life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Thy word is not a spotlight in my way. It is a lamp to my feet. And uh, in other words, the idea was when they would tie uh, lamps, they would get enough light for the next step and enough light for the next step and so on and so forth. Uh, duty opens by degrees, and the way to see further ahead is to go as far as we can see. So we go as much as we know, and God gives us a little more light. He leads us step by step. Now, the flesh does not like that. The flesh likes what we get when we type in our destination in GPS. You know that little button on the bottom that shows you, you can point and click that, and it shows you all the steps? <laughs> I like that. I like to see all the steps. This is the way I'm going to go. Uh, it wouldn't be so pleasant if we're going on a long trip and we only get the next turn, and then only the next turn. That would require a little faith in the GPS unit, wouldn't it? It requires a little faith in God for us to only get the next step. And then the next step. And this is what Samuel got, okay? Uh, he had to just be obedient and do what God told him to do. And one of the reasons, I believe, is that God is about to teach Samuel a valuable lesson about his choosing, how he chooses, and why he chooses. And the lesson is there for us as well. Now, Samuel protested. <laughs> Samuel did what we do. We throw an excuse. God gives a command. We come back with an excuse. But, but, but Saul's going to kill me. Which tells you a lot about Saul, by the way. How low did he get? He's going to kill Samuel. But I believe Samuel's right. Saul would have seen this as treason. 
and uh, would have probably killed Samuel. That's how low he's getting. That he's he's gotten so low uh, in his character that now he would kill the prophet of Israel, uh, the one who was in charge before him. But uh, we see a couple of chapters from now, 1 Samuel 22, Saul kills a bunch of priests, okay? So if he's going to kill preachers, that's a pretty bad guy, I believe, anyway, all right? Uh, hopefully you agree. Uh, in verse, uh, in, in the next thing we see in, in uh, uh, verse 2, the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I'm come to sacrifice the Lord. So it's interesting, God did not mock Samuel's fear. It was a legitimate fear. So Samuel kind of threw an excuse back at God. God did not mock the excuse. It was legitimate. What he did was provide protection for Samuel. Uh, he said, take a heifer with you. You're going to go sacrifice. When you get there, tell people you're there to sacrifice. Well, that sounds deceptive. Is God trying to trick the people? No, he's not being deceptive at all. He says, well, I'll tell you what. We'll do a sacrifice there. And Samuel did exactly that. So it wasn't being deceptive at all. It was a provision to provide protection for Samuel. We have a great example of salvation here, by the way. Samuel was under the threat of death, but God provided a means by which uh, Samuel would escape death, and that means was a sacrifice. Samuel was saved by a sacrifice connected to Bethlehem that was planned and ordered by God. That sound familiar to anybody? We are saved by a sacrifice connected to Bethlehem and uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Samuel orders the people, just a couple of notes here. I'm just kind of hitting in shotgun points here. But the purification for the choosing, verse 4, he said, sanctify, or number 4, verse 5, sanctify yourselves, come with me to the sacrifice. He told them basically, clean up for worship. Purity was a prerequisite for worship and service at Bethlehem. Like those at Bethlehem, we ought to approach the throne for worship and service as clean vessels. We ought to prepare. That's why I still think it's a good thing to dress up for church, to come to the church prepared to worship. Not only, of course, this isn't the most important, obviously, but uh, clean our hearts, clean our spirits, clean our attitudes, and come prepared uh, to worship in the house of God. Uh, the most important, obviously, is the heart. Now, let's look at some principles, and this is really the, the point of the evening here. Look at verse number 6 and 7. Uh, he, gets, he gets to Jesse's house. Jesse starts to pray to his sons before Samuel, and he looks at the first one. He looked at Eliab and said, surely. This Eliab was an impressive specimen, tall, 5'7". Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. When it came time for him to choose a king from Jesse's sons, he saw he sees Eliab and he was impressive from a physical standpoint. And Samuel said this to himself, surely. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I, I found him. Wow, God, you did a good job. You chose a great person. He looked, he, he thought he would be a great king because he looked kingly. Who else looked kingly? class. Saul. Saul looked kingly. Remember that? Head and shoulders above every man. Uh, he was the right specimen, and he stinks as a king. So here's Samuel's... Don't you think Samuel would have had enough of kingly-looking people by now? He, but that's how we are. We, get, we, we are so ingrained to judge people by what they look like that even though we learn the lesson over and over again, we still automatically go back to that default. We judge people by what they look like. 
God quickly corrected his thinking. Look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature because I have refused him. What God is saying here, looks aren't everything. Aren't you glad for that, Brother Jeremy? Looks aren't everything. Amen? Uh, and God had different attributes in mind when choosing a king. Samuel had to use, uh, learn to use a different principle than the world uses in selecting its kings. We ought to learn those lessons too. We don't, we, we don't use the same criteria that the world uses. We talked about this Sunday when it came, uh, talks about being uh, leadership in the world, Jesus talked about, versus leadership in the church, leadership among God's people. We're not lords, we're servants. And that's a difference. And so we have to use a different criteria. The outward appearance is the basis. Think about this. The outward appearance is the basis of so many bad decisions in our life. How many, how many marriages fail because of outward appearances, making the wrong choices? How many pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies, uh, teen destructive relationships and even adult destructive relationships come because of appearances? And uh, we make bad decisions. We do so in elections, too. Make bad decisions because of appearances. Do, 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 I mean, I've, I've, I've heard this. I, don't, I assume it's probably true in the time that we live in that Franklin D. Roosevelt could never get elected today. He was elected four times. But they say he could never get elected today. He, was, he had polio. He was in a wheelchair. He couldn't get elected today. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of where we are. you got to look good, sound good, be smooth and... Uh, to be able to uh, get into uh, public office. We choose with the wrong criteria, but we do so in our personal life too. Eve was deceived all the way back in the beginning. Remember what the Bible says? She was deceived because the forbidden tree was pleasant to the eyes. Appearances. It looked good. Genesis 3.6. Outward appearance has seduced people in every age. One person put it this way, there's scarcely any rule so deceptive as the rule of appearance. There's hardly anything as deceptive as appearance. And appearances are not good criteria for making choices in important matters. Can I say that again? Appearances are not the right criteria to make choices in important matters. Again, marriage is probably the biggest one for us. Uh, a lot of young men make the mistake. They fall they fall in love with someone who's beautiful, you know, and as they say, beauty is skin deep, ugly is to the bone, amen, but beauty is only skin deep. Uh, and yet many, many, many young men and women too make that mistake, falling for a, a appearances and ruin their lives. Satan, think about this, is, is infinitely gifted in cosmetics. That's all he has, by the way. He can't deliver, so he just works off of advertising. Satan is a great advertiser. And when you get what he, what, when he delivers, uh, it's never what he promises. It's heartache. It's sadness. It's trouble. It's, uh, it's sometimes imprisonment. It's, it's addiction. It's all these things that we think we're heading for a good time. You've got all kinds of promises from him. And it leads to nothing but a broken heart. He has trapped so many who make their choices primarily because of outward appearances. He presents himself, the Bible says, as an angel of light. It means he looks really, really, really good. And what he presents to you, his temptations that he brings across your path, 
look really, really good and feel really, really good. And we want to be a part of it. But can I tell you, it's always false advertisement. It's like the, even especially now, I, I went to McDonald's the other night, took my uh, youngest kids there because they were begging. And I, but I hadn't been there in probably uh, almost a year. I, I am not a fan of McDonald's. But uh, I went into McDonald's, and, and not, you know, they have these flashy, uh, you can decide to go in to buy a salad at McDonald's, but you probably won't end up buying a salad at McDonald's because they have some great pictures. I mean, how they get the burgers to glisten and uh, dots, uh, there's uh, just beads of the sodas are perspiring on the, the pictures are wonderful. And uh, the Big Mac on the picture is not the Big Mac you get when they bring it out to you. Have you ever seen, noticed the difference? There is a big, it looks like somebody sat on it, sat on that picture and, and then put it under a, a blazing heat lamp for a couple hours and then handed it to you. That doesn't look crusty. This is crusty. That doesn't look squashed. This is squashed. And the lettuce in that picture is not the lettuce that I got uh, when I get my hand. You know what I'm saying? Advertisement doesn't match the delivery. Satan's advertisement never matches what he delivers. It's always a disappointment. It's always a letdown. And... Why? Appearances. Because we make choices like Samuel did. He looks really good. He looks really good. I think it's Eliab. And God says, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature. I have refused him. If we could learn in our life to refuse what God's refused, we'd be a lot better off. But instead, we take what God's refused and we grasp onto it. And we do these things and make choices based on what looks good. Let's be wiser in our thinking as Christians and not go after false appearances. Thank you, Father.